Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. Good morning. It is October 10th, 2023. It is Tuesday. I am Tanya, and this is the Witch Daily Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Asheville Pagan Supply. So let's get your day going with a little magic. Our quote of the day is, people who do not believe in the existence of dragons are often eaten by dragons by Ursula K. Legan, uh, the book, The Wave in the Mind. I love that. It's funny. Um, I was talking to a few different people. This This topic keeps coming up in my life and probably because I'm thinking about it, but I've been having a conversation with a few people about magic and there is a point in every witch's life where you really cease the need to do spells and rituals because eventually just you wanting something to happen it just does you're you have magic by will and i was talking to someone in regards to i don't know how you teach that i don't know i don't know i think it's just something you get and i think by doing what we do right doing the small little things the meditations the little spells the little rituals i think you're almost programming your mind to think differently and then that programming eventually gives you this ability and I don't know. That's kind of what I think. If you have a different theory, I would love to hear it. I'm really trying to find how to express that idea, and I'm having such a hard time. So write in. Let me know. I'd love to hear it. So um, what are we drinking today? Oh, my gosh. We are drinking Dark Society from Sip a Spell. It's a Mayan hot chocolate uh, mix. Oof. Just a little dark moment, Dark Society is a drinking chocolate made from powdered cacao nibs. The Aztecs believed drinking chocolate was a spiritual experience, and we couldn't agree more. Said to bring you messages from the dead, it is a perfect pre-spell ritual drink. Topped with cayenne, cinnamon, and ginger, this blissful drink has a touch of wickedness. So I, like I said yesterday, I created this mix from the idea that you could drink it in the morning and feel your soul fueled by the magic of spice. And that's kind of what we're talking about today. Cacao in the ceremonial sense. And this hot chocolate blend, the base is not cocoa powder. It is cacao powder it has ground up cacao nibs and that's just it adds a little bit more of the fats the oils it, it it's a little bit more of a velvety experience so this comes to us from tokechocolate.com what exactly is ceremonial cacao 
Great question. And this was written by Sharon Ternese. Ceremonial cacao is a lot like astrology. Some people believe in it, others don't. In one quarter of the ring, rational skepticism will lay down all the reasons why ceremonial cacao is nothing but a buzzword. In the opposite corner, elevated spirituality will defend the beverage's ability to bring pure moments of bliss. Here's the real subject of contention, though. Should consumers spend money on ceremonial cacao, or should they make regular drinking chocolate with cocoa powder? And I think that's a great question. That's interesting. So I guess there is something labeled as ceremonial cacao that is different than cacao powder. And I honestly don't really know uh, the differences. So I'm curious if this will explain it. I know what we're using is like pure cacao powder. I don't know if that is ceremonial cacao, but I'm sure they'll explain it to us. So ceremonial cacao presents itself as a untempered block of chocolate. Oh, that's not what we're doing. We just have cacao powder. This is the result of cacao beans that have been fermented, dried, roasted, winnowed, and ground into a paste. One of the unique selling propositions of ceremonial cacao is that it is minimally processed to retain all the possible health benefits of cacao. Roasting is done at lower temperatures compared to regular chocolate, while the conching and the tempering stages are skipped entirely. The process stops when the cacao nibs turn into cacao mass, which is then roughly molded into a thick block. So the ceremonial beverage is prepared in a few simple steps. The block of cacao is then cut into thin shavings mixed with water or milk in a blender. Since health and spirituality are the driving forces behind ceremonial cacao, spices like cayenne pepper, ginger, cardamom, and superfoods like maca powder, spirulina, turmeric are usually added to the mix depending on the desired outcome, relaxation, meditation, energy boost. Natural sweeteners like agave, honey, and maple syrup are also welcomed additions. Because many of these ingredients are unrefined and powdery, the consistency of ceremonial cacao is thick, grainy, and dense, far from the creamy decadence of European-style hot chocolate. Ceremonial cacao is meant to be a, a pure, earthy kind of counterpoint or counterpart. So I so yes, yeah, so that's not what we're doing. <laughs> I was like, maybe we're accidentally doing that, but we're not. Um, I kind of have my idea is a little bit more like the European style hot chocolate, but with the spices and spirituality, I guess, of like a Mayan hot chocolate. So what's the secret ingredient to all of this? Intention. The last ingredient for ceremonial cacao is not found in the kitchen, but is the most important of them all, the intention behind it. Meditation, self-reflection, and spiritual healing, awareness, connection, and celebration are just some of the purposes associated with the consumption of ceremonial cacao. Whether at home alone or in a group of people, the intentions behind the cacao ceremony are set ahead of time. To enhance the spiritual experience, the cacao beverage will often be accompanied by rituals and activities such as chanting, yoga, prayers, or silence. So is it a scam? That's a great question. 
Like spirituality itself, ceremonial cacao and its effects are mostly intangible and indefinable. Beyond the health benefits and psychoactive compounds already associated with cacao, but the term ceremonial grade cacao also lacks any official definition or quality standards. This makes it especially hard for consumers to discern between companies committed to offering good cacao um, and those looking to profit off a trend. Government food administrations around the world have yet to define many quality standards and criteria for chocolate. So there's little hope that ceremonial cacao will be regulated. That's interesting. But I will say from what it sounds like, like our cacao comes in, a, um, our cacao nibs come in powdered form. So uh, what they described as ceremonial cacao isn't really what we're doing. But yeah, oof, cacao powder. Actually, there is a chocolatier here in New Orleans that I visited for the first time last weekend. Best time of my life. I was like, this place is heaven. And even though I have cacao nib powder because of the hot chocolate, I did buy a bag of their cacao nibs. And I was like, let me see if I can do something fun with this. So I'm so excited to play with it. Anyways, witches, we are moving on to headlines. This comes to us from mentalfloss.com. 13 weird old words for witches and warlocks. Oh, fun. Okay. I love etymology. One, love this one, sorceress. What makes a witch a witch? One element is magic or sorcery and not the rabbit out of the hat type, but um, magic. Sorceress is one of the many variations of sorcery recorded by the Oxford English Dictionary. Next, we have enchantress. Similarly, this term has been around since the 1300s and was first recorded by the poet Chaucer. Chan enchantress first applied to witches, but over time spread to women who are simply enchanting. Next, hellcats. Hellcats. The Oxford English Dictionary defines this term, which originated in early 17th century as an evil person suggestive of a creature from hell, a monster. Ooh. Next, wise woman. Wise woman, which first popped up in the late 1300s, is one of the more complimentary terms for witches or women magicians, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, and is referred to as harmless or, benef or like beneficial. Cool. Not spooky. This one I've never heard of. Lamia. Do you like famous or do you like fabulous monsters? Then you'll appreciate the Oxford English Dictionary definition of Lamia, main sense as a fabulous monster supposed to have a body of a woman and they prey upon human beings and suck the blood of children. Huh. Oh, apparently you can recognize the term from Dragni to Hell. I guess that's what they called the witch in that movie, but I, I had never heard it before. Next, we have bewitcher. Ooh. Since the 1500s, this term has applied to witches and other sorcery slingers, and it recalls the title of the TV show, Bewitched. 
Next, we have Pythoness. Here's another S word, part of the trends completely out of fashion today. The Oxford English Dictionary defines Pythoness, which dates back to late 1300s as a woman believed to be possessed by a spirit and be able to foresee the future. A woman soothsayer, a witch. Next one, weird. This sense of weird is a noun. Weirds like to transform dudes into frogs. Unlike the popular adjective that can apply to almost anything, the OED defines this sense of weird recorded since the 1600s as one pretending or supposed to have a power to foresee or control future events, a witch, a wizard, or a soothsayer. The next one we have is Abba Yaga. So the OED defines Baba Yaga as the name of a witch or female demon who appears in Russian and Slavic folklore. Next, we have hag. Though this term evolved to describe in a sexist and ageist manner, a woman um, who is maybe old or unattractive, in the 13th century, the meaning was quite sinister. At the time, hag referred to a woman who cavorted or at least conversed with the devil. Yeah. Then we have witch man. <laughs> witch man. We can't leave men off the hook when it comes to witchery. Warlock, which had a number of meanings in Old English, including traitor, scoundrel, or Satan, has been a term for a male witch since about the 1400s, and witch man has been used since the 1500s. And then finally, cunning woman and cunning man. To be cunning is to be clever and knowledgeable. But another sense of the word, dating back to the late 1500s, denotes knowledge in magic or witchcraft. A cunning man is a wizard, and a cunning woman is a witch. Love it. All right, witches. I am throwing this over to our moon correspondent, and after this break, we will talk more. Hello to all of my astro friends. This is Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, coming at you with your daily moon mantra for Tuesday, October 10th. The waning crescent moon moves from the gildings of Leo to the sorting tabs of Virgo today. Here, the moon conjuncts Venus and opposes Saturn. Mercury and Venus are locked into a mutual reception, with Venus and Mercury's sign of Virgo and Mercury and Venus's sign of Libra. This is a good thing, as Venus struggles in the space of finicky Virgo. Mercury can help Venus pick out both the bad and good details that Venus is struggling with here. In the opposition to Saturn, we're struggling to decide what is most important in this moment, setting up the structure for the bigger picture or making sure that we handle the details with care. Saturn has a little more leniency in Pisces, so we can likely focus in on the details and allow the big picture to unfold as we flesh out the little things that make it up. Don't get overly concerned with where things are going. Busy yourself with what's in front of you and have faith that the rest will figure itself out. Your daily moon mantra is, the universe is much too big to hold on to, but the perfect size for letting go. This has been your daily moon mantra with Serendipity, the Chicago astrologer, signing off and reminding you that you are in charge of your own destiny. Asheville Pagan Supply is a witch-owned and operated old-age metaphysical pagan supply store located in the Blue Ridge Mountain town of Asheville, North Carolina. 
Our shop specializes in high-quality products created by local magic practitioners and craftspersons with an emphasis on sourcing products that are botanical, organic, ecologically conscious, and affordably priced. We are extremely proud of our knowledgeable and friendly staff who are always prepared to answer questions and personally assist customers with their purchases. Our belief has always been that our business presence in the community offers a normalcy to pagan practices, and in educating the general public we assist in dispelling myths and stereotypes associated with different pagan practices. Open since July of 2014, we focus on our local community in hosting workshops and events. Visiting Asheville? Find us! Just look for the raven with the key. Or shop 24-7 at AshevillePaganSupply.store. That's A-S-H-E-V-I-L-L-E-P-A-G-A-N Supply.store. Blessed be. All right, witches, we are back. So our urban legend today we're talking about is Joey the Clown and kind of the evil clown trope. So... This is an interesting one because I can't really ever imagine, I can't really ever imagine a time when clowns weren't supposed to be terrifying. I'm just from the generation where they were always very scary. Uh, Fun fact, I actually worked a little bit with the daughter of Bobo the Clown. Yeah. And like... She was nice, but like you, you could totally like tell, <laughs> you know what I mean. But she was really nice. But um, clowns are interesting. So where does this kind of clown thing come from? So especially this idea of Joey the clown, which I'm so curious here. What's funny, though, is even though this came up as a list of urban legends people knew about, when you actually Google it, uh, Joey the Clown seemed to have been a notorious Chicago mob boss. So how we get to killer clowns, I do not know, but let's dig in. So the evil clown or killer clown is a subversion of the traditional comic clown character in which the playful trope is instead depicted in a more disturbing nature through the use of horror elements and dark humor. The modern archetype of the evil clown was popularized by DC Comics and the Joker in the 1940s, and then Pennywise and Stephen King's It. The character can be seen as playing on the sense of unease felt by those who suffer from clarophobia, which is the fear of clowns. And this is from Wikipedia. So the modern archetype of the evil clown has unclear origins. I mean, I really do think it is probably the big one. But the stock character appearance infrequently during the 19th century in such work such as Edgar Allan Poe's Hop Frog was believed, which is believed by Jack Morgan of the University of Missouri, to draw upon the earlier incident at a masquerade ball. So, in the 14th century, during which the king and his frivolous party costumed in highly flammable materials, um, they were ignited by a flambeau and incinerated at the king, narrowly escaping the actual uh, case. So, evil clowns also occupied a small niche in drama, appearing in the 1874 work La Femme de... Tabrin, which um, 
which work features murderous clowns as central characters. And then, during the 1980s National Lampoon, published a series of mock comic mock comic books in the pages of the magazine entitled Evil Clown, in which a malevolent character named Frenchie the Clown um, was the main character. But during this decade, American serial killer John Wayne Gacy became known as the Killer Clown when arrested in 1987, after it was discovered he had performed as Pogo the Clown at children's parties and other events. However, uh, Gary did not commit his crimes wearing a clown costume. Um, honestly, I don't think he actually... I'm going to be honest. When I heard about this, it was more so one of those like killer clowns and scary clowns were already a thing. So when this, this serial killer emerged, people were like, oh, and of course he was a clown. You know what I mean? So I think the trope came way before John Wayne Gacy. So the concept of the evil clown is related to the irrational fear of clowns. The cultural critic Mark Durai has theorized the postmodern archetype of the evil clown in his work, Cotton Candy Autopsy, Deconstructing the Psycho Killer Clown. So tracking the images of the demented or deviant clown across popular culture, Durai analyzes the Pogo the Clown persona of John Wayne Gacy and the obscene clouds from these other uh, pieces of media, such as like Batman, Scooby-Doo, Stephen King, things like this, um, as kind of where this probably comes from. According to psychology professor Joseph Duren from California State University, young children are very reactive to a familiar body type with an unfamiliar face. Researchers who have studied the phobia believe there is a correlation to the uncanny valley effect. And additionally, clown behavior is often transgressive as an antisocial behavior, which can create the feeling of unease. And in a 2022 survey of 987 adults from 64 countries, 54% of respondents experienced some form of clown phobia. Now let's talk about the urban legends, including one recently. We have a recent, a recent uh, events of clowns, but let's let's get into the urban legends. So the related urban legend of evil clown sightings in real life is known as phantom clowns. First reported in 1981 in Brookline, Massachusetts, children said that men dressed up as clowns had attempted to lure them into a van. The panic spread through the U.S. and the Midwest and the Northeast, and it resurfaced in 1985 in Phoenix, Arizona, and then 1991 in West Orange, New Jersey. In 1990 in Brazil, through a story reported by the Brazilian tabloid. Um, and then again in Honduras, these sightings still occurred. So later sightings also include Chicago in 2008. So explanation for the phenomena has ranged from Stephen King's It and the crimes of John Wayne Gacy to moral panic influenced by um, contemporary fears of the satanic panic ritual abuse. It also shows similarities of the story of the Pied Piper, which we already talked about. In most cases, the reports were made by children 
and no adults or police officers were able to confirm the sightings. So this is kind of the leading theory as to where this kind of killer psycho clown thing is coming from. And people think it's a mix of the Pied Piper legend and kind of this uh, parent, parental fear of the satanic panic, which makes sense. It looks like this is happening maybe right after the satanic panic. And then, again, the idea of the Pied Piper, someone luring, a, a, you know, children away. You can kind of see how this is the leading theory. Now, in 2013, a character who became known as the Northampton Clown was repeatedly sighted standing silently around uh, English town of Northampton. The work of three local filmmakers, Alex Powell, Elliot Simpson, and Luke Urbowski, the Northampton Clown was similar in appearance to Pennywise from Stephen King's It, although rumors said that the clown may have had a knife. The clown himself denied these rumors through social media. And then in March in 2014, Matteo Moroni from Italy, owner of a YouTube channel, DM Pranks, began dressing up as a killer clown and terrifying unsuspecting passerbys with his videos, racking up hundreds of millions of views. And then in 2014, further complaints of evil clown pranksters were reported in France, the U.S., and Germany, possibly inspired by American Horror Story Freak Show. I have to say no on that one. <clears throat> Sorry, just as like someone who was really into American Horror Story and really into culture, American Horror Story Freak Show, I don't even think featured a clown. So this sounds like it's just someone grabbing at like, oh, well, there was a circus. There was a very popular... Let's see. Freak show. Oh, there was a killer clown in American Horror Story. Okay, I'm going to tell you. Didn't even remember that. As someone who, like, watched American Horror Story. Didn't even remember that. So I actually have to say, like, I don't think these... I don't think these sightings of clown pranksters in France, U.S., and Germany was because of a killer in the second season of a TV show that asked someone who watched that show and loved it. Didn't even remember. So I'm, I'm going to just say that I don't think that's what's up. In 2014, the Wasco clown attracted social media attention in California. Again, this clown shared a similar resemblance to Pennywise, and it was revealed that the social media postings were part of a year-long photography project conducted by the uh, artist's wife. And then in, oh, this one I remember, this one I remember, because I was like, what is going on? In Bakersfield, California, menacing clowns were reported, some with weapons, and in July 2015, a creepy clown was seen around local cemetery in Chicago, terrorizing anyone in the graveyard. And there was another burst of sightings in 2016, including in South Carolina and New York. I do remember that. So researcher Ben Radford writes that there have been many surges of evil clown sightings reported. Radford says it's most likely pranksters. The urban legends and panic can cause real danger as face-painted pranksters and innocent bystanders may be at risk by interaction of well-intended public or police thinking a threat exists when it does not, which is a good point. It's not a fun prank. Don't do it because people who actually think you're a threat may harm you. It's not cute. It's not fun. Uh, oh, gosh. Apparently, American Horror Story 
piss people off. Let's see. In 2014, Clowns of America International responded to the depiction of Twisty on American Horror Story and the evil clown in media generally. President Glenn Kohlberger said, Hollywood makes money sensationalizing the norm. They can take any situation, no matter how good or pure, and turn it into a nightmare. We do not support in any way, shape, or form any medium that sensationalizes or adds to clown fear. Okay, I'm sorry. You cannot blame American Horror Story. The clown thing was already a thing. I don't know why everyone's focusing so hard on American Horror Story. I, like, watched that season and completely forgot there was a clown. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, it's really fascinating, um, the fear of clowns. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's, again, this kind of amalgamation of, I don't, like, as fun as you think it is, it is a little creepy, right? Like, um, the, like they said, it plays into the uncanny valley effect that there is this being who's dressed up and doing, like, antisocial behavior. It's going to make people feel weird. Um, and then I think that just naturally leads into the fears. I don't think you can blame anyone or anything for it. I think it just is. Yeah, I think it just is. I think it's just one of those things that is naturally kind of creepy. And then you, re you really can't get upset that people are going to take it and run with it as creepy, you know? Interesting, but I do remember all of those evil clown sightings a few years back, and there were like videos and stuff. I'm gonna Google that and see what was going on. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into this real fast. Yeah, apparently people are calling that time the Great Clown Panic of 2016, and yeah, they're saying it, it was a hoax. I mean, yeah, I would think so. I don't think all the clown, all the killer clowns hanging out under underground are just like, yeah, let's just come out at this exact time um yeah it was a hoax but it was scary yeah i definitely get that it was that it was just a hoax but it was pretty creepy it was it was pretty creepy i'm pretty sure you can find videos if you want to like check it out um all right witches we are wrapping up this episode of the witch daily show we have no housekeeping today but I do want to give a shout out to listener River. River, you scrumptious, glorious unicorn nurse. Yasha, you tenacious, earthy gnome. And Tara, you poetic, glittery seer. Thank you three so much for being Patreon supporters. I really appreciate it. And that's all I've got for you today. Don't forget any books, decks, headlines, sources. Anything we reference today can be found in the podcast episode description or witchpod.com. And we will talk again tomorrow. Bye. Witches, we hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>